0: You're listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. We want everyone everywhere to have an everyday relationship with Jesus, and we hope that this helps you do just that. Hey, I'm not sure if your campus burst into applause as a result of watching that story, but could we all across South Carolina right now tell Jesus how thankful we are for that story? And that's just one of hundreds and hundreds of stories of how our church Lives in the everyday overflow of the grace of God. Uh, I I got to meet those little boys just uh, not long ago at our Greenwood campus and that story really gets me because if you know anything about me, you know that I'm adopted. And I love what that story represents. It represents who we are as a people of God. It represents the grace that we have received and the grace that we get to give And I'm so excited to get to preach. The first of our sermons in this series called Everyday Overflow. I've got three hours worth of content and 30 minutes to deliver it. Can y'all listen that fast? Are y'all ready? Y'all ready to listen that fast? I've never met you before. My is Clayton King, one of the pastors here. I have two sons, Jacob and Joseph, who are part of our church. My wife, Shari, is also part of our church. And we love this time of year because the leaves are falling off the trees and college football's in full swing and high school football's in full swing. Goateeal had a yellow jacket. So I had to give a shout out right there. My son plays, I'm invested. I also love... Of the fact that we're about to get into Thanksgiving and Christmas season and some of y'all are neurotic and you've already got your Christmas tree up and I don't know what to think about you. But I know what we're gonna do today. Today, we're gonna be in the Bible and we're gonna be in 2 Corinthians chapter eight. You can go ahead and find your place there. 2 Corinthians chapter eight. We're talking about overflow and how to live in an everyday overflow relationship with Jesus. I wrote this in my notes. I wanna get our minds in the right direction before I read this scripture. This is a series that is about the grace of God that we've received. And how that grace overflows through us to the lives of other people, but not just on Sundays and not just once a year when we have an overflow series. Every day, the grace of God can flow through you and me. Every day, we can have more peace, more love. More patience. By the way, if you want to be countercultural as a Christian today in America, just show some patience. Just be patient. Just refuse to yell at your server in a restaurant, refuse to get sucked into a debate on social media, refuse to get triggered about every single thing. That is what it means to live in the everyday overflow. But we're also going to talk about giving and generosity, specifically from this passage of Scripture, because this Passage is very specific to something that was happening 2,000 years ago in the church. It's also extremely prophetic for what's happening in our church right now. And I wanna say this from the outset, I wanna boast in the Lord, New Spring. Can y'all give me a second to just boast in the Lord? When I was preparing for this message, I was reminded over and over again of what an overflowing church we really are. Six and a half years ago, our church was in $46 million worth of debt. We made some decisions, and you, by the grace of God, have done this. We have paid down that debt, from six and a half years ago till today, $7.2 million. We've gone from 46 million to $7.2 million in debt. And y'all can just go ahead and help yourself to a little bit of praise right there for Jesus. Not only that, you've done this by the grace of God. You have received God's grace and you have given grace. We are now giving 10% of our gross income away to churches, church plants, organizations and ministries that share our love for the kingdom and the gospel. And you, New Spring Church, have been living in overflow. 25 million dollars we've been able to give to build the kingdom and we don't care if anybody knows the name of New Spring, we just want people to know about Jesus. You've done that because you have received the overflow. And we've told you this before, we'll say it again. We wanna see our debt paid off and we wanna plant 10 churches by the year 2030. And for that to happen, we're gonna have to continue walking in the overflow. I wanna read the scripture to you from 2 Corinthians chapter eight, but I have to give you 30 seconds worth of historical context. The writer of these words is somebody that we're probably familiar with, the Apostle Paul. He is writing a letter to a church in Corinth. Corinth is a real place, I've been there twice. Corinth was a well-off city. When I say well-off, I mean financially. It was a town that was built on a harbor. It was a town that was made rich because of its trade. It was right on the Aegean Sea. And the Christians in Corinth had made a promise to Paul that they were gonna take up an offering And they were gonna give that offering to Paul or specifically to Titus, Paul's assistant, so that the Christian believers in Jerusalem who were being persecuted could have their needs met. So Corinth is in Greece. Jerusalem, of course, is in Israel. My wife and I were there just a few days ago, actually, in Jerusalem. The believers there had some very specific needs. Paul writes to the church in Corinth to remind them that they have not yet made good on their promise. And then he uses another church, the Macedonian church, as an example of everyday overflow. He shows the Corinthians, hey, you guys have plenty of supply and even some extra. You've got surplus. You made a promise to give and you haven't given yet. The Christian believers in Jerusalem need your help, but the Macedonians, who aren't nearly as well off as you, they begged us for the privilege of giving out of their extreme poverty, welled up rich generosity. With that context, let's read the scriptures together. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verses one through 15. Here's what Paul says. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. And I can testify, I love it when Paul does this, that according to their ability, and even beyond their ability, of their own accord, They begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints and not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urge Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Now, As you excel in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, and all diligence, and in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. I am not saying this is a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty, he, you might become rich. And in this matter, I am giving advice because it's profitable for you, who began last year not only to do something, but also to want to do it. Verse 11, now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. Four, if the eagerness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. It is not that there should be relief for others and hardship for you, but it's a question of equality. Verse 14. At the present time, your surplus is available for their need so that their abundance may in turn meet your need in order that there may be equality. As it is written, the person who had much did not have too much and the person who had little did not have too little. Let's stop right there for the moment. I wish I could keep going, but I don't have time. Here's the deal. We're getting an opportunity at New Spring Church today to overhear a conversation between a pastor and the people he loves. That's all this is. It's a loving, tender correspondence between Pastor Paul and the congregation in Corinth that he loves, and he is trying to encourage them, challenge them, remind them, and stir them up to be a part of relieving the need that existed among the church. But I wanna point something out to you. This jumps off the page at me. Giving is a grace that God gives to all of us. Now, a lot of people don't understand this. I didn't understand this for a long time. I grew up and I thought, well, only certain people have the gift of giving. And in my mind, it was always rich people. Well, rich people have money, so rich people can give. But that's not what this passage teaches us. Every believer is given the gift of grace to give to others. It's not just reserved for a select few. It's real easy for us to think, well, I don't have a whole lot of money, so I can't give. That's not my gift. My gift is hospitality, or my gift is uh, encouragement, or, or my gift is... Uh, you know, physical acts of love and service, and those are all amazing gifts. And our church utilizes every one of those gifts. We do every single Sunday. If you came to a New Spring campus today, somebody helped greet you in the parking lot. That's a gift of grace. Someone held the door for you when you walked in. That's a gift of grace. If you have kids in KidSpring, there are volunteers right now teaching Jesus, teaching your kids about Jesus on their level. That's a gift of grace. Someone led worship at your campus today on a stage. That's a gift of grace. But don't listen. Do not let Set yourself off the hook by saying, Well, I don't have a lot of money, so giving cannot be my gift. No, no, no. God's grace has appeared to all of us, and I want to clear myself out of spot here if that's okay. Every one of us has been given the gift of salvation, every one of us has received grace, but God doesn't give us grace so we can hoard the grace. God gives us grace so that we can help others with what we've been given. That's what he gives us grace for. So if you've got a dollar or a million dollars, you can give. It's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. That's what it's about. Let me ask y'all a question. You know, I, man, Brad and Dan and I, we talk about this. I talk to all my pastor friends. You know, the best sermons we preach are the ones that, that Jesus has to work on us for six or seven weeks before we stand up and preach it. As I was preparing for this, God worked on me. He worked on me, he asked me some questions. Clayton, let me pose this question to y'all, New Spring. Imagine if Paul wrote you a letter about your life, would it feel like overflow? What if Paul wrote me a letter about my attitude about giving? Would he have to correct me? Would he have to encourage me to to make good on my promise? Would he have to rebuke me? Would Paul write a letter to Clayton King and tell me if he knew me and knew the way that I give that my life looks like I'm in an everyday overflow relationship with Jesus? Or would he have to say, hey, you know what? You've got a whole lot of resource, but Clayton, the Macedonians are really showing you how to do it and they've got nothing. They've got nothing, but they begged us to help the Christian believers in Jerusalem. Church, we're all the body of Christ. And if every member of this body at New Spring Church gave like they had received, we would be able to exponentially build the kingdom. So let me ask you a question, another question. What if everybody at New Spring Church gave like you gave? how much ministry would we accomplish? Let's make it personal. Y'all know me. I try to call it like I see it. I don't always get it right, but I'm just gonna ask this question. This has hit home for me. If everybody at New Spring gave like me, how much ministry would we really get accomplished? How many more people could we reach? How many more churches could we plant? How much quicker could we pay off the debt? How many more people could we bless and serve? How many salvations would take place? How many missionaries could be supported? If everybody at New Spring gave like me, if everybody at New Spring gave like you. This is a gift for all of us. And let me point this out before I move on because this is important. Paul, a Jewish Christian, is writing a letter to the Corinthians who are Gentile Christians, and he's saying, you promised money for the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and you're a Gentile. Let me show you how another Gentile congregation in Macedonia gave. Do you see? Jew, Gentile, they're all one body. And Paul expected all of them to pull together to help the believers in Jerusalem who were being persecuted. I've said it before, we'll say it again over and over again. We we do not care if the name of New Spring Church is ever known or mentioned in this world, but we want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be proclaimed and the kingdom of God to grow and the name of Jesus to be famous. And it only works when all of us pull together and we give from the grace we've received. That's how it works. That's how it works. Well, three of y'all want to clap because you're Pentecostal. Okay, let's go, let's go. I'm down with that. I'm down for that. Number two, If you can't give when you have a little, you'll never give when you have a lot. I do want to spend just a minute here because this is the way I have thought about giving and generosity so often in my life. I've thought to myself, I can remember being in college. You know, there's broke and there's college broke. College broke is a special kind of anointing for poverty. And I remember it, man, I used to, I used to. I was real bad. I was so broke in college. I would go I would just make rounds in the dorm at night to see who had food that they hadn't finished. Food that was in the garbage. If it was in the garbage and still in the wrapper, I would eat it. If it was a guy that looked like he basically had good hygiene and I thought he might be a Christian, I would I would just I would I was so broke. I was so broke. And my thought was, one of these days I'm going to have money. One of these days, I'm gonna have some money in the bank and I cannot wait to give. And this is the way the devil, listen to me, New Spring, I love you, so I'm gonna tell you the truth. This is how the devil has kept some of y'all under a financial curse because you have believed the lie from Satan. You can't afford to give right now. One day you'll be able to give. You don't have enough money to tithe right now. That means 10% of your income, one-tenth. Tithe, one-tenth, the first and the best. One day you'll be able to give, but for now, just give $20 here and there. Just drop a 10 in the plate. For some of you, giving $10 is way more than other people that give $10,000. Again, it's not the amount, it's the attitude. But I want you to know that the Macedonian Christians in places like Philip and Berea and Thessalonica, they didn't, as my dad used to say, they didn't have two nickels to rub together, but they begged Paul, please, 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 we know we don't have much, but we want to give to those Christians who are being persecuted by the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. Will you please let us give, please, please? Man, what if that was our attitude? A lot of us think, well, one day I'll have money, I'll give then. No, you won't. If you can't give when you have a little, you won't give when you have a lot, and here's why, because there is this thing that Jesus mentioned in the gospels called mammon, and it's more than just money. It's a system of greed built around thinking that money will give you security, and when you give when you've got a little, and you begin the discipline and the joy of giving, then when you finally one day do have a lot, the discipline will already be established, but if you wait until you've got expendable income, if you wait until you have margin, if you wait until you've hit that magic number. You've got this exact amount in the checking account you've always wanted to have. You've now funded fully your kid's college education. You've got your Roth IRA and your 401k and they're fully funded. And a lot of us think, if I get to that point in life, then I'll start giving. Well, first of all, you might be dead before you ever get there. So if that's your attitude, you may not ever give anything. Second of all, know this, money has a way of controlling people. It's easier to give when you don't have much than it is to give when you have a lot because mammon or money and the security that you think it will buy you has a way of gripping your soul with greed saying, well, just hang on to it. It's yours. You worked hard for it. You deserve it. Well, ma'am, sir, can I tell you? I love you, so I'm gonna tell you the truth. It's not yours. It's God's. Every single last penny of it is God's. And God doesn't want your money, God wants your heart because if God's got your heart, he's got the rest of you. So I want you to understand this. Giving is a gift of grace that everybody has and you don't have to wait until you've got plenty of money saved up to begin giving. And that is why Paul told the Corinthians, look at the Macedonians, that's that's who I want you to be like. They gave out of their poverty. So here's a question I've had to ask myself. (laughs) Am I a Corinthian giver or am I a Macedonian giver? Can I ask you that question, New Spring? Do you give like a Corinthian? You have really good ideas, really good intentions. You promise that you'll do it. You hear a message on tithing or a message on giving or a message on giving away a car or giving away that spare bedroom and letting somebody move into your house with you or or giving a specific amount to a specific offering or whatever, and, and you know you should do it, but you make up reasons and you find reasons to wait. If that's you, you're a Corinthian giver. You know what I'm praying? God, make me a Macedonian. Make me a Macedonian. I don't want to have to be begged. I don't want to have to be cajoled. I don't want to have to be manipulated. I don't need some preacher on TV promising me prosperity to get the money out of my pocket. Jesus doesn't want the money in your pocket. He's a big boy. He'd beat you up and take the money if he wanted your money. (laughs) Jesus doesn't want our money. He wants our devotion. He wants our love. He wants our hearts. So give now. Don't wait until you got a lot because you'll never give if you wait. Until you've got a lot. What, what if we stopped asking? Because much of my Christian life, you know, from the moment I got saved, I was called to ministry 35 years ago. So my whole entire life from age 14 till now has been ministry. And I found myself both as a pastor and as an evangelist and as um, a leader of a nonprofit ministry, I have found myself over the years praying this prayer, God, send someone to help me. Send someone to help us. Send somebody to write us a check. Send us some donors. Just send somebody to help us. New Spring, what happens when we flip that prayer upside down? Individually, when you stop praying, God, send someone to help me, and you start praying, God, send me to help someone. I promise God will give you more, more than you could ever imagine, but not to hoard, to help. Help. Don't wait until you got a lot to give, to start giving. Live in overflow right now, right where you are, and watch God use you to help somebody else. And this is why generosity is so important, church, because our generosity prepares the way for kingdom growth. Our generosity does that. When we give, when we tithe, when we serve, Our generosity is what allows the kingdom of God to grow. In verse 11, Paul literally says, now also finish the task so that just as there was an eager desire, there may also be a completion according to what you have. Our intentions don't build the kingdom of God, church. Our actions do. We all have good intentions, don't we? Oh, I could go down the list. You intend to lose some weight. You intend to stop drinking soda. You intend to go to church more regularly. I intend to be nicer to my wife or nicer to my kids. I intend to stop speeding. That's confessional. Um, We all have good intentions, but nobody comes to Christ because we have an intention to do something good. People come to Christ and lives are changed and the kingdom is built and the gospel is proclaimed and debt is paid off and churches are planted when people put actions behind their intentions. Paul is saying to them, you promised this. I didn't beg you, Corinth. I didn't beg you to give this money. You asked me if you could. You said you'd send it. Now, I know your intentions were good. Let's finish the job. Let's get this thing done. We gotta wrap this thing up because there are believers in Jerusalem who are waiting on us to take care of them. Look at verse 14. I'm gonna read it to you again. He says this, at the present time, your surplus is available for their need. What if your surplus, the surplus that you have right now, what if your surplus, the extra, the additional, that pay raise you got, that bonus check, that money that you've had sitting aside, your kids are out of college now, everything's paid off, maybe you're debt free, I don't know. What if your surplus was actually God's supply for someone else? I said this in the first service and I did it at the very end, but I sense like I'm supposed to say it right now. There are people right now in our church and you're listening to me preach right now and you've got enough surplus You'll never touch it, you'll never need it. And this is not all of us, but all of us have some degree of surplus, but there are people in our church right now, you've got enough surplus that today we could pay off that $7.2 million debt. It's just money, and it's sitting around. Drawing interest, <laughs> some of y'all like, Clayton, have you, have you watched the news? Do you understand about inflation? Do you know what's happening? Supply chain, I drive a diesel truck, I think it's $83 a gallon now to put diesel in my truck. And we can blame a lot of people, and, I, and trust me, I could too, but that's not what I'm talking about right now. What I'm talking about right now is some of us have surplus, and we think that that surplus is giving us safety and security. And I'm here to tell you there is nothing wrong with having surplus, but there is something wrong when that surplus has a death grip around your heart, and you can't even think about using some of that surplus to supply the needs of someone else. Do I have extra? If I do, God gave it to me as the gift of grace, and now it is my joy to pass that along to sisters and brothers in Christ somewhere who need what I can supply for them. And I know that we can do this, church. We've done this before. Let me take you back just a few months ago, five or six months ago. um, Back in June, I stood right here on the stage, and I told our church, hey, we've got about $30,000 left to raise for the weekend fund so that students can come to the weekend. I stood right here on this stage and I said, church, let's be generous. Before the second service, not only had we raised the full amount of the $30,000, but you did this by God's grace, New Spring Church, three times what we needed was provided that day. Over $90,000 raised that day. Praise God, that is everyday overflow. That's what it is. My surplus is God's supply for someone else. Now Jesus is our example of this. Jesus shows us generosity and sacrifice. And that's why Paul appeals to the example of Jesus in verse nine. He says, for you know, you know, what do you know? The genuineness of your love that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Where was Jesus rich? He was rich when he was in heaven. He left the riches of heaven and took on the poverty of human flesh, living among broken, sinful people, and for 33 years living a perfect life never sinning, going through every temptation we ever went through, and never, ever missing the mark. And then when Jesus died on the cross, he died in abject poverty. He died alone, his best friends had abandoned him. Jesus even said about himself, the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, I don't even have a bed to lay my head on. Know this, that Jesus gave up all of his riches for the sake of us, because when Je- look, when Jesus died on the cross for you, he also died on the cross as you. It wasn't that he just died for Clayton. When Jesus was crucified on that cross, it was as if Clayton King was hanging there because Jesus took my place. It's a good Bible word. I hope you can remember this. It's it's the word propitiation. He stood in my place. He made up the gap where I could not pay for my own sin. Jesus said, I'll do it. And he did that for every single human being that has ever lived He gave up his riches to become poor so that we could get the riches of God's grace, not just so that we could brag about it and say, woo, I'm going to heaven, but so we could help other people go to heaven by giving the grace that God has given us. And sometimes it's a kind word, sometimes it's an encouraging text. Sometimes it's a lunch that you buy for a friend that's in need, and sometimes it's writing that check for that amount of money that God put in your heart, and you don't need to delay and figure out the math. You just need to do it. Just do it. I'm a testimony to this. I am a testimony to this in my own life. That it's not about how you feel. It's about how you follow through. It's not about feeling in the moment like I wanna do something. It's about following through. And here's what Jesus does. He'll tell you to give, and then he'll test your faith. And when you pass that test, you'll have a story to tell by the grace of God and for his glory. I'll tell you how this happened in my life. Shari and I had been married for, I don't know, a little over a year. And uh, we had some friends that were missionaries in India. Shari and I had been to India many times. And they were coming into town, and we were supposed to have lunch with them on a Wednesday afternoon. This was probably, so Tuesday night, before lunch with them on Wednesday, I'm sitting at my desk in our house in North Carolina at the time, and I felt like the Holy Spirit told me that we were supposed to write them a check for $1,000. Now, time out. I wanna make sure y'all understand that this is a confession and a testimony. I did not wanna write that check. I argued with God. I didn't have a lot of money. Shari and I were newlyweds. We had just bought a house. We're about to have a family. And I'm telling you, we didn't have much more than $1,000 in, in our checking account. So I argued with the Lord. Tuesday night, God I know you're supposed to know everything, but you obviously don't have the passwords to my checking account because if you did, you could log in and see that if I do that, they're going to take my house next month because I got to make a payment to the bank. So if you're going to tell me to give them $1,000, how about you tell the president of the bank to give me a free house or give me a month where I don't have to pay? And I argued with the Lord, and I didn't want to do it. I was just like a Corinthian. Just wait, God, and I'll do it later. Just wait, God, I was not like a Macedonian at all. So finally, you know how it is when you argue with God? He wins because he's God and you're not. So I wrote the check and I did not do it with joy. I was mad about it. I'm like, here, fine, you can have this check, but you better make it up to me. That was my attitude, so immature. The next morning, Shari went to a women's Bible study and it was about 8.30 in the morning and I decided I'm gonna go for a run because I'm telling you y'all, I was stressed out. I was worried, like my neck muscles had gotten tight. Some of y'all get that way about money, don't you? You get that way. Some of y'all get that way about your favorite football team. (laughs) I do too. So I was like, I'm gonna go for a run. I never check the mailbox when I go for a run, ever. I had checked the mail the previous night at like 5.30. Our mail ran at like 3.30. Checked the mail at 5.30. There were a couple of things in there and as I'm leaving my yard to walk down the driveway to make a left down Thor Road to run this two mile loop, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, look in the mailbox. So I did. There were two pieces of mail. Now listen, this is not prosperity, name it, claim it kind of stuff. I'm telling you, our God has riches that he just wants to give you. Not so you can hoard them, but so You can help others with them. So I open up the mailbox. I've already got my shoes on. I'm warmed up. I'm ready to go. There are two envelopes. I open the first envelope. Kid you not, it is a letter from the North Carolina Department of Revenue. And the letter says, dear Mr. King, here is a refund from where you have overpaid your state income taxes for the last five years. $2,700 and something dollars. And I was like, well, that's not bad. Way to go, Lord. And in my mind, I'm thinking, maybe God was just testing me last night and now I've gotten 2.7 times more money back. I was so dumb. There's another piece of mail in the mailbox. I can't, I'm not making this up. I opened that one, it's from the IRS. So I'm thinking, oh shoot, they're coming to get me. They're gonna put me in a Russian gulag in Siberia. I'm gonna be in debtor's prison until the millennium. And I'm thinking I'm in big trouble, open it up. Dear Mr. King, we are sending you a refund from where you have overpaid your estimated taxes for the last five years. And there is a check. First envelope a check for 2,700 and something dollars. Second envelope a check for about 7,290 something dollars. Listen to me church, listen to me. It was exactly, to the penny, $10,000 and zero cents. Some of y'all are like, I need to write that check. (laughs) No, the point is not that you give to get. Nuh uh. That's not the heart of, of, of the Bible. It's not the heart of God. We don't give to get, church. We get to give. We get to partner with God. We get to give this grace and watch what God does with it. That's what we get to do. And we get stories to tell. I stood in the lobby after the first service and person after person after person walked up to me and said, I've got a story like that, Pastor Clayton. Let me tell you what God did for me. I've got a story like that. Let me tell you what happened when I was a teenager. And then a random guy walked up to me in the lobby and handed me a check made to New Spring Church, not to Clayton King, I gotta say that, for $10,000. Happened just a few minutes before this service started. And he said, we've been tithing and we've been giving, but we've got surplus. We're debt free, we don't need it. Here's $10,000, I wanted to put it in your hand so I could tell you that I'm committed to living everyday overflow. And I gave that check to one of our lead pastors and he took it to guest services. I'm not trying to get your money, no. Because if God's got your heart, he's got your money. I'm not trying to get anything from you. God wants something for you. God wants you to live in everyday overflow. So final question before we pray and respond. When you think about the Macedonians, why were they in such a severe trial? What was going on there? Well, Corinth had plenty. Macedonia did not. Macedonia was the place that Alexander the Great was born. Maybe the greatest tyrant that's ever lived. But when the Roman Empire invaded Macedonia in 168 BC, they took all of the gold mines, all of the copper mines and all of the silver mines, which is where the Macedonian province got most of its income. They also began to deforest all of the trees and export those to build bridges all around the Roman Empire. So this once great region of Macedonia is now in severe poverty. But that severe poverty Changed. So here's my question. How did severe trial, affliction, and extreme poverty all become abundant joy, overflow, and a wealth of generosity? How did that happen? How does that happen? How do you go from extreme poverty to a wealth of generosity? How do you go from severe trial to abundant joy? How do you go from affliction to overflow? Here's how you do it. You do what they did. It's in verse five. They gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. This is about our hearts. And that's where overflow starts. So I wanna invite you to close your eyes and open your hearts at every campus right now. Eyes closed, hearts open. The greatest gift of grace God ever gives is the gift of salvation. So I wanna invite you, if you have never truly given your life to Christ, if you're not a Christian, or if you know you've been playing the game, you're tired of running, you're tired of being confused and you wanna be saved, you wanna get right with God today for sure, for real. i want to tell you how. Repent of your sins and respond to his grace. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, and if you wanna be saved, I want you to pray this to Jesus right now, in your heart, because he can save you if you'll open your heart to him. Pray this to him if you wanna be be saved today. Dear Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. So I invite you into my heart. I repent of my sin. Put all my faith in you. Come on in, Jesus, right now. Make me new. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. I'm yours. With your eyes closed and your hearts open, I'm not gonna point you out, but at every campus, if you just prayed that prayer and you received the grace of God, just given your life to Christ for real, would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand straight up right where you are right now. Just keep it up for a second. All right, you can put them down at every campus. Here's how we're gonna close our service today. I'm gonna ask everyone to go ahead and open your eyes at every campus. and We're all gonna stand together right now, so go ahead and stand up on your feet. Let me tell you how we're gonna respond to this overflowing grace that God has given us, these gifts of love. If you just gave your life to Jesus, and there were multiple hands in this room, then I'm gonna invite you to respond in just a moment by going to the cross that's in your room. There's a cross in every one of our campuses. And if you just pray to receive Christ, I'm gonna ask you to find your way to that cross. And I'm gonna ask you to just take a piece of paper They're right there at the cross and write your name on it and just stick it up there on that cross. That's your way of declaring, I have received the grace of God for salvation. That's one way that you can respond. I'm also gonna invite our ministry teams right now to go ahead and move to your places. We have ministry teams right now at every one of our campuses. And one way you can respond is to go to one of our ministry team members and pray with them for any need that you have, physical healing, a health issue, a broken marriage, something you're burdened with, depression, addiction, our ministry team members will pray with you. A third way you can respond is by taking communion. We've got communion stations set up in your room right there at your campus. And if you're a Christian, even if you just prayed to receive Christ, I wanna invite you to go take communion as a way to honor Jesus and celebrate his death and his resurrection. You can also sing. We're a church that loves to sing and worship. So you're gonna have time to reflect and pray right where you are and also to sing. And then one final way that you can respond is by giving. Maybe you brought your uh, tithe today or an offering, but I wanna give you one more action item for this response. When I say amen, you can actually text the word overflow to 30303, put that up on the screens for you. Because some of you, while I've been preaching, the spirit of God has spoken to you and he said, wake up. Wake up, you've got surplus, and there's a need you can help meet. Whether it's planting churches or paying off debt or just tithing for the first time, go to, uh, just open up your phone and text the word overflow to 30303, and we will send you all the information on how you can begin to walk in everyday overflow. Those are the ways that we are going to respond. And as soon as I say amen, I'm going to invite people to begin to move, to pray to receive communion or any of the ways that we can respond. Jesus, it is an honor to preach your word. It's a joy to be a part of a church that is characterized by everyday overflow. Thank you for those that have just been saved. And now as we all respond, I pray we would do so knowing that when we receive your grace, we get to overflow with joy as we give that grace away. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the New Spring Church Podcast. Make sure to visit our website at newspring.cc for more content, including videos, articles, and devotionals to help you have an everyday relationship with Jesus. Or plan a visit to one of our campuses across the state of South Carolina.